Welcome back to the Hoops Temple Pod. Y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz. Joining me on the other line, Dylan Williamson. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, listeners. Good evening to you, good sir. We've had a fun podcast. We talked about what stats are predictive at which points in the NBA season. We went through who some of the top MVP candidates, not necessarily to discuss really the MVP race, just because they're playing really well. And with your jerseys, New City Editions are out. Mm, some of them good, some of them not so good, some hard to find. Hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> my friend's birthday party and i like i just didn't go so i was like yeah, it's, it's not gonna be as much fun to go without my wife like i, I genuinely miss her but i've just sat around and watched basketball made bas- TikTok <laughs> basketball content uh, <laughs> like i had a poker night on friday and took you know invited over uh eight guys and took their money and it, it was great nice big winner yeah i mean we we kind of went into it we're like all right ten dollar buy-in you get one optional ten dollar buy back in. No one's gonna lose their house, and then we're gonna split it. Third guy out gets their money back. Second guy gets thirty percent. First guy gets the remaining seventy. And so walked away with sixty bucks, seventy bucks. Good shit. Good day. How's your weekend been? I was right. There's um one of the big um tourist destinations, I guess, in town. The city that I live in is um <laughs> sadly not Hobbiton. No, it's um. Just some uh, gardens. Look it up. It's, uh, I don't know if it'll come up for you. Just look up Hamilton Gardens. Um, there's some pretty like elaborate gardens. Maybe Hamilton Gardens NZ might come up. Ooh, it's very pretty. Yeah, so there's just like elaborate garden displays and like you know stuff. And so they have um this event once a year where there's you know they go and put a bunch of food trucks and stuff, and then people go down and you get some food and you have a nice afternoon in the in the gardens. So that's what I did yesterday. It was lovely. It's a very nice place. It's very cool. Just take the girlfriend? Yeah. I'll have to show you around when you can when you come to New Zealand. <laughs> Thankfully my wife doesn't listen to this because she'd already be booking tickets. <laughs> <sighs> One day. Do you have anything that you wanna talk about today? Any ideas? Not particularly. Hmm. What about you? What have you been watching? Well I watched A D Killas and Ben Simmons. Come off the bench for 14 minutes as the eighth man. Nice. I was going to fire up that game, and then they didn't have the uh, all possessions condensed 40 minute recap, and I was like, I do not want to. <laughs> I don't want to deal with skipping commercials myself. I'll watch a different game, come back to this later. How are you feeling about the Clippers? Well, you know, you guys are above 500. You've stuck back into the playoff picture. Where, where's the panic meter at? It's definitely low. Like we've definitely come around. A couple good wins. Like we beat Cleveland, who are one of the best teams in the league. We're starting to figure some stuff out, but it's still concerning how bad our offense is. Mm-hmm. And we're still last in the league in offense. We lost that last game against Cleveland because essentially down the stretch, we just couldn't get any buckets. Um, and we're sort of getting to the point now where, you know, very early on, you can say, oh, they're just figuring things out and it'll come along. Like mm-hmm. we're deep enough now into the season where if it was going to come along, it would have come along. There's this really um interesting nylon calculus article that they talked about on Dunk Don, where essentially this guy's done this study on how many games into the season does it take for certain, you know, st- statistical indicators to become predictive, 
And so what he did is take, you know, Hayes three-point percentage, net rating, defensive rating, offensive rebound rate, all these different statistical indicators, and looked at how many games have to be played for the end-of-season number to have a R-squared of at least 0.5 with that amount of games. And so things like uh, free throw rate, which is one thing that's killing the Clippers, um, we never get never get to the line. Eighteen uh, percent free throw rate, which is twenty fourth in the league. Um, free throw rate only takes five games to really? essentially stabilize, and so after five games, your fifty percent of the um, variance of your end of season number is already done. And we've gotten through like quite a few different indicators as well, like even net rating. After eight games, net rating has a R squared of 0.5 with end of season net rating. Turnover percentage is another thing that kills the Clippers. 25th in the league in turnovers. That only takes 10 games to be predictive. Um, and so we're getting to the point now where like the offense may just actually suck. Interesting. I mean, there's definitely statistical outliers in that, which I think the Clippers would qualify for just from a standpoint of they don't have Kawhi. Mm. But like looking at some of the other teams in here, turnover percentage, the teams that uh, are actually the best at it, as in have the fewest, are the Raptors, the Hawks, the Thunder, the Celtics, and the Suns, which, you know, I could, I could see Phoenix staying up there with Chris Paul. I could see Boston mm. staying up there. They have a, a nicely run team. Um, the Hawks, you've either got Trey Young or DeJounte Murray handling the ball at all times. It was actually, uh, I just finished watching the 76ers-Hawks game, and they, they staggered the two really nicely. Like, they started them together, and they started them in the third, and they finished with them in the fourth, but there was never really a time where one of those two wasn't their primary ball handler. So I could I could see that stain in there. What was the other one that you said? Was it uh, free throw percentage or free throw rate? Free throw rate, yeah. The, the percentage with which you get to line. So it seems like a lot of the like style of play numbers, not necessarily like your success or like effectiveness, but how, the way that you play. So like pace, for example, only takes four games and then like that's your pace. Like they hmm. they, they can predict your interseason pace. And free throw rate is the other really early one and a three-point assist rate as well. And so the amount, the amount of threes and the amount of free throws that you get within four or five games as a 0.5 R square with your end of season number. Yeah. Which does kind of make sense, I guess. Well, it's it's really curious to look at because some of these numbers, I absolutely believe it. Toronto, or sorry, Houston has the greatest turnover percentage. If you want to tell me that at the end of the season, Houston remains with the highest turnover percentage, I'm like, yeah, I believe that. Right after Houston, it's Orlando and then San Antonio. Perfect. That that makes perfect sense. Um, but the Clippers is tied with San Antonio, also with Portland. Like, I could see them dropping off. I could see them kind of being the, the outlier. Mm. Yeah, and you kind of would hope that that would come up just based on the amount of turnovers that are, like, loose dribble, I guess. You know, like, you could, you can kind of accept or or you, you'd at least come to expect, like, a lot of maybe bad pass turnovers. So a lot of the teams in the past that have made the most passes have the, you know, higher turnover rate because you're throwing more passes. They're more likely to be intercepted. Um, the Clippers pass the ball the second fewest amount um, of any team in the league um, behind only the Hawks who we just said were one of the best teams at not turning the ball over so that's mm-hmm. one thing that you could kind of point at the team that passes the most are the Warriors who have statistically well historically 
tended to have quite a high turnover rate. Is that's one thing that you can maybe look at and say, you know, these guys can't just keep losing the ball? Yeah. Now I'm kind of looking at uh, free throw rate and just free throws divided by field goal attempts. Can you guess who's actually leading the league in this? Um, I mean, I would guess the Sixers if I had to have a guess, but I really don't know. 76ers are eighth. The number one team is the Detroit Pistons. Wow. What's going on there? Aren't they like terrible on offense? So they're like getting to the line constantly, but still <laughs> that's like an even bigger indictment of their overall shooting that they're getting to the line a whole bunch and they still can't score any points. Yeah. Well, they're not, there's no one player that's particularly drawing a ton of fouls. This might even just be the case of the refs calling fouls for them. You know, like when you're playing in middle school and your team is down by 20 and so the ref just starts calling more <laughs> fouls than the other team. Yeah, you know, like, it's like lower stakes. You know, like when yeah. it's a really close game and the refs are sort of like, oh, okay, I'm going to have really high standards of what I'm going to call a foul. Whereas they get it blown out soft and they're just like, yeah, you can have free throws. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> like no one's going to complain so much. I know I've seen those numbers somewhere that like the team that's behind gets more calls in their favor, mm. even at the mm. NBA level. And so I wonder if that's the case for the Pistons. Yeah. Are they shooting well from the line? They are shooting pretty well. They're shooting 78.5%. So yeah, that's just even here. Yeah. It's still pretty crazy, though, that they <laughs> get to the line so much and they're still one of the worst offenses in the league. Yeah. Well, that's kind of um, just looking at the teams with the highest free throw rate. It's not actually that unusual. So I'm probably looking at different numbers to you because I've got looking at the cleaning the glass numbers, but they shouldn't be too far off. Detroit, number one in free throw rate, 27th in offense. Portland, number two, 18th. Orlando, number three, 22nd. Chicago, number four, 20th. Seems like... For whatever reason, there's not really a high correlation between free throw rate and points per position, which is interesting. It's quite counterintuitive. I, I think it's giving the points to the bad teams. That's that's what it is. I've solved it. <laughs> you don't you don't need to uh, score well if you're getting free throws. You said net rating is also really indicative. Yeah, which which kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, eight eight, eight games t- to have a R squared of 0.5 with your end of season net rating, hmm. which is, I guess, again, a big concern for some of these teams that are up, well, underperforming expectation right now. When you're, what are we like, 14, 15 games in, depending yeah. on the team, and you got teams like the Clippers who are 25th in the league in net rating, you got the Timberwolves who are 21st in the league, you got Golden State at 18th, you have the Lakers who are at 29th. <laughs> but also concerning for some of these teams that probably don't want to win games, although there, you know, there are ways that you can really flip that and go the other way. But like Indiana, who are seventeenth in the league with a positive point differential, like when you're trying to get Wemby, you, <laughs> you know, you don't want to have a positive point differential halfway through the season. Um, kind of wonder how much some of these teams, like like even Utah who are <laughs> one of the best teams in the league. They're fifth in point differential. And I think, are they first in the West in the standings? Or second? No, they'd be, they'd be first by some yeah, half they're, games. They're currently first by a half game over Memphis and Portland. If Wimbanyama is as good as everyone thinks he is, like, isn't that just going to be such a huge regret and just like a massive failure of team management that you wanted this guy, you set yourself up to be in a position to get him and then your team goes out and is first in the west after 15 games into the season i think it's recoverable if you make some trades 
Brooklyn has yeah. gotten better recently. They've won their last, I don't know, is it uh, four of their last five or three of their last mm. four? They're, they're doing well with Kyrie's suspension. Um, yeah. yeah, it is four of their last five at this moment. And they're playing the Lakers in about four hours. So by the time we're done editing this, it'll probably be five of the last six. On a back-to-back, though. It, it's the Lakers. <laughs> it is the worst team in the league, to be fair. Oh my by, god, um, it hurts me so much. Record. Can I tell you, I was watching the Lakers-Kings game, and we were up like 10 points with like a minute left before halftime. And Lonnie Walker had just been a menace in the passing lanes. He would actually looked really good. He had looked like he looked like last season Kyle Kuzma level. Not not like all-star, but like has those moments and those those games where it's like, oh hey, could Kuzma develop into an all-star? Like like those flashes. And that's that's where Lonnie was at yesterday. Winion Gabriel was getting some some good defensive efforts. He's actually looked pretty good for like such a fringe NBA player. Like he moves quite well on defense. The dude has no hands. Uh, that's that's a good point. <laughs> I, I have only um looked at him on defense. That's a very good point. Yeah, no, he, he cannot catch the ball. Yeah. And, and the whole thing just falls apart. We're up like 12, and with a minute left, they drop that to six, and then just just give the game away. They're also up like six or eight, and the Spurs go on an 8-0 run to win the— or not the Spurs, the Kings go on an 8-0 run to end the game. It was like all of the role players actually played their roles well at different points in the Kings game, and then just kept going. It was like, we can't be good for this long, like— Juan Toscano Anderson would be good for 10 minutes a night, and we asked him to play 20. Austin Reeves should be good for like 15, and we're asking him to play 30. And so you have those 10 good minutes, and it was just just so, so heartbreaking. Hmm. Really is an impressively bad attempt at roster construction. Yeah. To do this two years in a row. And to like win a championship, and then your first instinct is like blow it up. It's it's impressively bad. I mean, there were some things that I liked about the Montrez Harrell, Dennis Schroeder combo. Like, hey, let's get some bench scores. Let's do some stuff. And I almost think they should just run that group back because that group's failure wasn't so much that it was a bad group. It was that LeBron and Davis were hurt the whole time. And you got about the about what you expect from that group. But they decided to blow that up and try to bring in a superstar to carry the team when LeBron and Davis were hurt, and that's where I think it all fell apart. I'm I'm not too concerned that we let Dwight go, but I digress. Superstar in Taiwan. Yeah, I wonder how, <laughs> what I was doing there. But to get back to to Brooklyn, like they they're doing better now. But if they start doing poorly again, Utah has the assets to make a Durant deal and still have enough picks to make another star trade. Like they are incredibly loaded. They could put eight first towards. Durant and still have another four to trade for someone else. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that they are in Utah because, like, this is a really quite good team and and a fun team who are just missing a superstar. And it kind mm-hmm. of reminds me of two good examples, um, although they neither of them turned out well. Is there was that one Brooklyn team that um, you know the D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie Brooklyn team who outperformed expectations. And established themselves as like a really solid team, just needed needing a superstar. Um, and then there was that Clippers team as well that um, lost to the Warriors in the first round. The the Lou Williams, Danilo Gallinari team that made the eight seed without without any star players. And that's sort of like what Utah's got going on now. The trouble is that the Nets are in Brooklyn and the Clippers are in Los Angeles, and 
unfortunately the Jazz are in Utah. It would be interesting to see if they do try to blow it up when they've got so much ground to cover. Like they've already banked so many wins. Or whether they just lean into it and they're like, okay, you know, we can be fun. We can put out a good pro- product um, and we can build this way of starting at a really high level of competence instead of starting at, you know, being the worst team in the league. And whether they do just go all in and maybe make some moves to get better players rather than get rid of the good players that they have. I think they actually don't need to make that many tweaks. I was watching them play Washington and they were getting demolished on the fast break. They were getting demolished in the paint. And it really didn't help that Jared Vanderbilt got hurt because once he left the game, there was like no one to stop any sort of penetration or or post up like they do not have size. And so I kind of wonder if maybe you just move Vanderbilt. He's so young, though, that you'd probably want him as part of your um as part of your future. Sure. But if you move him, then you can be bad and get Wimbanyama. Okay, here's uh, another interesting point um, on how they can be bad. Walker Kessler, when he is on the floor, they have a 100 defensive rating, which is 98th percentile. When he's off the floor, they have a 117.5 defensive rating. Um, so Walker Kessler is actually having a big impact on their defense. So play him more. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I think there are like small tweaks you can make to take this team from being competent to being pretty abysmal. Like, I don't think you entirely need to sell off Lowry. Maybe you want to sell off Jordan and Conley, and you've been playing them a lot. You know, maybe maybe an Olenek. You you move off the guys that are over 30. But but I think you could make that smaller move of just benching Vanderbilt, playing Kessler Walker more, or, you know, trading Vanderbilt. Like, moving off that one piece would have a really big effect and, and could cause the team to collapse which is what you want. You want to keep as many of these guys intact as much of this core intact and then get a superstar. So like, I'm not, I'm not advocating mm. for the complete blow it up. I'm advocating for like, how can we just make them go from barely winning to barely losing and have that repeat for the next three, four months, five mm. months. Could they be like a, um, kind of a sneaky Kawhi trade, you know, Toronto team where they're never going to get a superstar to sign with them they are too good to get a superstar in the draft and so could they maybe swing a trade for a superstar that doesn't necessarily want to be there but you hope that the winning is enough to convince them to at least stay long enough for some short-term success it's a little bit hard because there's not a, a superstar that's like actively demanding a trade right now there's not even someone that we're like on off-season leave watch or like pre-off-season like the year before the year, watch. Mm. Durant is locked yeah. up long term. Who is who's the next disgruntled superstar? I mean, Bradley Beal's not moving the needle for anyone. Yeah, yeah, and, and some of the other guys like Damian Lillard that you're you're about to mention, like the Blazers are playing really well. So why would he want out? Maybe it's like Zach Levine. The Levine thing has been just kind of this: will he, won't he leave? But I don't know that you you necessarily even make a bunch of moves. Also, Levine signed an extension. Levine is under contract mm. until 2026. So I really don't know. I don't think that there is a team that you're going to steal their star in free agency or um, that's going to demand a trade other than Durant, which if you get Durant and could keep a lot of the rest of this core intact, like that's, that's pretty good. That's solid. Maybe you don't yeah, even do- need a full another second star. Maybe you just get Durant and then you talk... Phoenix into partying with DeAndre Ayton because Utah really could use 
another big or someone someone other than Vanderbilt who can guard the rim. I think that we've sort of come around in terms of just the league overall in that we're going to see a lot less, I guess, superstar mobility or a lot less superstars changing teams. I think it's kind of just because like the guys who are sort of the top 10 players in the league now, a lot of them are quite young and it's sort of those younger players that are more likely to stay with their team. So if you look at like Tatum and Brown, um, Devin Booker even, uh, like John Morant, Luca, like a lot of these top 10 players are guys that you'd really struggle. And he's not young, but fits into the same idea of, of Giannis and Jokic as well. Of like all of these guys who are sort of top 10 players are guys that you really don't expect to be changing teams. Yeah, I just went and checked. Giannis, Jokic, and Joel Embiid are, are all on long-term deals as well. Like uh, Giannis gets off the soonest in 2025, but the young guys have signed for for extended times. Um, Trey Young, he's under contract until 2026. Like I, I don't think there's actually going to be a ton of movement amongst the superstars anytime soon. I mean, someone might elevate into the superstar echelon. Like I'm trying to think about Carl Anthony Towns. He probably feels the most... Uh, mm. shaky in his current role, but he's under contract till 2027. Yeah. Probably also maybe a, a testament to improved team building that there aren't, other than like, you know, a couple notable exceptions, there aren't any bad teams with really good players. Like, you're sort of looking at all of the bottom teams and other than like Lakers and Clippers who are a bit anomalous, like there are, and the Wizards who, you know, are what they are there aren't really any even like top 20 players that are on bad teams um by just eyeballing the standings are a little bit weird because like miami and chicago are sub 500 at the moment philadelphia mm-hmm. is sub 500 at the moment yeah, i guess brooklyn as well uh, uh yeah below 500 golden state I, I realized we did like the california panic with you me and aaron uh we didn't have a golden state representative but they're sub 500 at the moment i d- I don't know. There are some good players. I just don't see any of them moving. Like, you're not going to cash in your picks if you're Utah to try to bring in Draymond Green. Mm. Maybe you should. But, like, yeah. you know, they're, they're not going to do it for Curry. Mm. Have you gotten to watch much Golden State recently? A little bit, yeah. What was their last game? I think I may have caught that. I watched them against um against Cleveland, which is not so long ago. They sort of seem like they're in this weird position where coming into the season, and even, like, early on, we thought that they were going to have like this incredible depth of like, mm-hmm. like how are they going to find minutes for all these guys? But they've really just got like their five or like six guys with Jordan Poole, and then they're like really struggling. So, like Steve Kerr has been playing. Let me look him up because I can't even think of his first name. Um, Anthony Lamb like is getting big minutes and playing quite well for the Warriors which is unusual because they've got all these guys that he's playing ahead of, like Kaminga, Moody, Wiseman, Jermichael Green, uh, who else? I think even Shenzo. Yeah, just like all these guys where they were supposed to have this incredible depth. Um, the starters are still, are still you know, pretty awesome. Um, let me see if I can find the numbers. Yeah, starters plus 26. 128 points on offense, 101 on defense. So they are... The starters are still stomping teams, but it's as soon as you go to like any sort of bench lineup, they're really struggling to just find 
you know, just anything that works. And a big part of that is Jordan Poole has not been, you know, where he was last year, where, like, he was pretty much like a fringe all-star kind of guy. Um, mm-hmm. But he, I mean, part of this is that he's backing up Steph Curry, but he has the worst on-off differential in the league at the moment, negative 29.1. Yeah. You really wish that the, the rookies or the young guys, the Moody, the yeah. Wiseman, and yeah. I mean, I, I wish they, they could get a little bit more play. Um, they don't deserve it, but I don't know that they get better if you don't give it to them. Um, mm. the, like I, I watched that Cavs game and Kaminga got four minutes of action. In those four minutes, he makes a strong cut and doesn't realize Curry's passing him the ball and it, like just goes straight through his hands. Like, like it hits him. It hits him in the hands and he misses it, turnover. And then like two possessions later, he's got the ball at the top of the key and Curry's coming off a flare screen, coming up for it, and he chucks it like out of bounds because Curry was curling to like catch and shoot as opposed to running out to like half court. And it was like just two boneheaded plays back to back. And like you'd like to give him some room to make those mistakes, the opportunity to play through it and just where they're at in the seating and where their expectations are. You don't have time to let him play through it. Mm. So I, I still have a lot of faith in Kaminga. I also still really like James Wiseman, but it's just a hard position to be in where you need this team to win and you don't have time for them to make the mistakes. I don't know, maybe send them down to the G League for the next month and just say, hey, we're, we're going to play Anthony Lamb and we're going to play Jermichael Green and we're going to survive. We're going to grit our teeth through this, but we need these guys to get reps. They're going to play 30, 40 minutes a night in the G League. I, that's, that'd be what I would do with Golden State. Yeah, it, it is a little bit tricky because ex- exactly like you say, they kind of need these young guys to come along. The only way to do that is to play the minutes and to play the minutes, you're going to lose games. And Golden State is one of the hardest teams, I would say, to play for if you're a guy mm-hmm. that's like trying to figure out the league because like you've got these five guys who, you know, the, the starters who are just like so perfectly locked into each other. And there's like this very defined way that they play and like they know all the plays, they all know exactly what the other guy is going to do and exactly where to be. You know, we've seen it with say like a guy like um, Kelly Oubre, for example, who's super talented, but not a guy with a high basketball IQ who just couldn't figure out the system um, and couldn't figure out where to be and, you know, just struggle to make positive contributions. And you're sort of getting that with with Kaminga and, and with Wiseman where it's a really hard system to figure out and they just don't have the basketball IQ to do it. And that's really frustrating to the other guys who have the set way that they want to play. Um, and that's where, you know, Anthony Lamb and Ty Jerome, who are not like, who are, don't have the physical skill set or really the talent of a guy like Kaminga or um, Wiseman or Moses Moody, but are just more intelligent players. Like, that's why Steve Kerr is going to these guys. Bill Jackson used to always say that the triangle takes three years to learn. Mm. And I know Curry's not running the triangle, but he is really inspired by Phil and he is running a complex system that is a lot of yeah. reading, reacting, cutting. And then and like so, some triangle elements in the Warrior sure. system as well. Listen, at this point, every offense has triangle elements. You don't have the best offense in basketball for a decade and then it just <laughs> goes away. Like the triangle... People complain about it, or people that don't really understand basketball talk very negatively about this offense. But it's what they used in UCLA when John Wooden was winning all of his things. There's a high school coach that won like 
tons of championships and Phil Jackson wins them. And like the principles are sound. It takes a while to learn. It takes time to develop, but that also makes it really hard to stop. And that's, that's Curry's system or that's Kerr's system entirely too, where it's going to take you a while to learn it. But also defenses take, like they struggle to adjust to it. And so it gives you this advantage where um, Aaron and I were discussing the Malone Stockton, Utah jazz the other day. Like that offense, pick and roll, two-man game, super simplistic, regular season, you're going to run to perfection, but you're going to play off series, like it's going to fall apart. Mm. And, and you know why the triangle now has such a bad reputation? It's because of those damn New York Knicks that couldn't figure out how to run it properly. Yeah. Also, the Dallas Mavericks failed to try to run it at one point. It It's not lasted well because it, it sucks at first. Like you have to have people willing to give it three years in order for it to work. It's not not something that you can just whip out overnight. Um, but have you seen Curry's numbers in his last three games? Uh, no, I don't think I have. 42 points, 7.3 assists, 5 rebounds, shooting 55% from three on 12.7 attempts, 65% from the field. He's pretty good. Even his um, overall season numbers, 33 points, 7 rebounds, rounding up, 7 assists, rounding up. Over a steal, shooting 50, 40, 90. That's uh, almost 70% true shooting. And like the like we said, they've been good when they play their starters. It's just that they haven't been able to find answers when the starters are out. Yeah. You sort of get into that thing where maybe the answer is that you have a lot more hybrid units or that you play you know more of these bench guys with the starters so that they can benefit from Curry offensively, his gravity, benefit from Draymond covering up for their defensive mistakes. And you just sort of get into that trade-off of, okay, do we want to have less time with the starters altogether where they're the you know the best five-man lineup in the world to mitigate how bad we are when we are without them? Or do we want to stick with starters, play more with the starters so that we can continue to destroy teams in those moments? I love teams that have like a fully fluid bench mob. Like mm. the, the 2009-2010 Lakers, um, that era had the bench mob. With Sasha Vujicic, Jordan Farmar, uh, Lamar Odom, Luke Walton, and, and their like calling card was speed. They were going to get out there and they were going to run teams to death because mm. the Lakers had Bynum and Gasol, and they would try bully ball in the to start. And then you go for this speed lineup um, after you've gotten the other team in foul trouble. Well, and now they're they're backpedaling. So I, I love the idea of it, but it just doesn't work for everyone. I was watching the Nuggets play the Celtics and. The, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the the Peyton Pritchard just rebounding on DeAndre Jordan, just the laughing stock of DeAndre Jordan? Yeah, yeah. That wasn't the only clip like that. You yeah, could, you could have made that clip on like six different possessions, and of course, right after that that clip happens, they call a timeout. The next possession, they put back in Jamal Murray and get an alley oop pass to DeAndre Jordan, and he throws it down, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm here." And I'm like, "My guy, you've just been." <laughs> just been embarrassed for the last like six possessions like don't yeah don't celebrate right now um and like i think denver is another one that they really need to stagger Jokic and murray to some degree because their starters look great and their starters are are really solid lineup but that bench has nothing going for it no shot creation um christian braun is out there trying to create stuff jeff green was calling isos and trying to back guys down like i don't know why they put Michael Porter Jr. out there, shot creation is not his thing. He's a catch and shoot, and, and like he's a really efficient catch and shoot, but he's not like 
he's not doing a Jason Tatum impersonation, busting guys off the dribble. Yeah, and it is fitting that you um, transition to Denver from talking about bench mobs because they are a team that likes to play sort of like full starter or maybe full starters with one bench guy and then full bench or with one starter, that mm-hmm. be Michael Porter. Um, and there is like a very big differential. So their main starting unit is plus 12.7. That's Murray, KCP, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic, um, almost 300 positions. So really big sample size. Malone plays that lineup a lot, um, plus 12.7. Their top played lineup without Jokic, which I guess would be the bench mob of Bones Highland, Bruce Brown, Michael Porter, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, negative uh, 22.4. So that does, you know, speak to what you just said, that they need to find some better ways to get better performance out of their, when they go to their bench. And Michael Malone is a guy that loves to play mostly bench units and loves to keep the starters together. It hasn't worked out well, really at, at any point. I can't think of any point in the last few years where they have been able to get good performance but playing four bench guys together. It just it's a hard thing to do. And like the Utah Jazz did it pretty well last season where they would have this Hassan Whiteside, Donovan Mitchell, like it, well, sorry, they, they actually didn't do like full bench, but they had two different units. They'd like do the starters to start and close, but then they had like a staggered Donovan Mitchell led squad and a Rudy Gobert led squad. And so those two almost never saw the court together, but it was like a, a staggering. And then they would, they very rarely interchange those lineups. It was like you were either on mm-hmm. A squad or B squad and like, yeah, mix it up. And I think that coaches tend to fall in love with lineups and a lot of guys just got to gotta try to be more fluid. I mean, I know when I coached, it was nice. You could you fall in love with a lineup. You try to get them together, and you're like, yeah, these guys will just improve and get better. But sometimes you just got to do more different things. Yeah, and Quinn Snyder is a really good coach, and I'm sure that he constructed those units and stuck with them so much because like, you put together players who where there's a theory of how they're going to succeed. So you have creation and you have defense and you have shooting your space in and playmaking or whatever. You've, you know, you've got these pieces that come together to make a unit where like there is, you know, a theory of, of how they'll succeed. Um, and that's something that teams like the Warriors or like them, but like, what, what are you supposed to do with a lineup of bones, Bruce Brown, Michael Porter, Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan? Like, what are you supposed to be good at? How are you supposed to be, defending and how are you supposed to be scoring you're not as that, opposed to those utah teams where you've you know you have a real theory of of what you're doing out there and, and that is a different example because they did actually have staggered lineups it just was like the most set like blended lineups where you never saw mm. any mixture let's see I, I caught another game earlier today i was watching um yesterday's mavs blazers game mm, yeah and dallas looks good it, the Lucas minutes were still good for Dallas. They have hmm. just the playmaking and shooting ability of a Spencer Dinwiddie, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Christian Wood lineup. It just gives you so much on offense. And then when you complement that with Maxi Kleber and Josh Green, um, and actually Hardaway Jr. was playing really good on defense too, you have enough offense and defense to survive for an extended period without Luka Doncic. I think you can bring in Luca back and bring in Finney Smith. Um, you should not bring back in Dwight Powell, but y- you have a lot of talent and a lot of different guys who can shoot, pass, um, and defend. Mm. And um, like they're a team that plays 
Luca a lot with different guys that does blend you know these different units like Luca will play with Hardaway and he'll play with Maxi Kleber and he'll play with Christian Wood um an interesting thing that was seen from them as well is JaVale McGee gone from the starting lineup now which you know I really do like I think he's much better as a bench center I think that's where he really thrives and I like that kid has has the type of authority to to make that move when this was you know a relatively big free agent for them bringing in and a guy that they promised that would start and kid tried it and it didn't work and now he's switched it up and really big difference in the numbers on that one because if we look at starters with Powell and then starters with McGee with Powell plus 21 with McGee minus 21 and so there's been a huge differential of going back to Dwight Powell who like in all honesty like JaVale McGee has better physical tools and is probably more talented than Dwight Powell but Dwight Powell just kind of knows how Luca likes to play is a really good I guess like technical role man for Luca and has never been much of a defensive player but he's at least got like a big body and he knows where to be and he can play in a drop coverage or he can come up to the you know point of attack he's got reasonable mobility and so it's interesting that big differential and also love that it has you know has the has, has the empowerment to make a decision like that and backs himself to do that you know mcgee has not really played that much like you say all this i'm like i don't think i, I don't think he played in the portland game so when i pull it up mm. and mcgee has not played 15 minutes in any game this season he is he maxed out at 14 in their first game and then declines 14 13 12 11 8 well 9 8 4 3 then back up to 10 7 he's gone like mm. they they ended the game small um christian wood fouls out with i want to say like three or five minutes left um they ended with luca kind of playing the four and finney smith playing the five and then i want to say it was uh was that josh green minutes no no uh they they closed with spencer dinwiddie reggie bullock and um uh, tim hardaway jr mm. and i i really liked that lineup portland was also small yusuf nurkic is injured jeremy grant had a great game of 37 40 points something like that yeah they've, they've closed quite a few games with him at the 5-2 which has gone quite well for them yeah i, I don't know who went small first I, th- I think dallas went small first and then portland pulled uh drew eubanks who actually looked really good in this game a lot of energy uh <laughs> the announcers referred to his defense as being spastic which i'm, <laughs> I'm always a favor of <laughs> so i don't know i just I went I went into this game because I was listening to a ringer pod that was discussing Luca for MVP and I was mm. like I'm I'm on the Giannis for MVP train let me let me go check out what Luca can do um and, and Luca Luca had his way with it and yes he is very iso heavy but he kept his teammates involved and like great body language like Tim Hardaway Jr hit back to back threes and you got Luca on the bench like standing up fist pumping and like really engaged uh, Luca also he got torched by Josh Hart like just just a snapping of his ankles with a crossover and then Hart goes in for a layup and Luca recovers and just swats it like it was an incredibly athletic recovery and block mm. um, from a very uh, abysmal like you if Hart had made this layup this is a highlight and it's like a, a not top 10 for Luca. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, Luca, and Luca recovered. Luca was really go, getting after it on defense. He tipped a number of passes that did, 
didn't convert into steals, but he was breaking stuff up. I I walked out of that game saying Luca's MVP. Wow, that's a big call. Um, especially I mean, given just like the overall dominance of the Bucks. We we have time. There, there, mm. there is time, and we'll see if if the Mavs can end um, in the top three. But what he was doing out there, offensively and defensively, which I think. I think the defense really needs to get mentioned because we know that he can be a triple double. We know he can score forty points, um, but but he was actually really he, he had really good moments on defense too, which is normally not his thing. So I, I'm okay with him being the front runner. I like it. Maybe I'll have to tune into some more Dallas games. I feel like for whatever reason I have maybe it's just like the timing that they play their games, but I don't think I've seen them play very much. I went full on MVP watch this weekend, and yes. I, I went for Celtics Nuggets to try to check out. Both Tatum and Jokic. I did the Hawks, Sixers, because um, Embiid had 40 points in that game. I wanted to see how he was looking. Got the Mavs Blazers game in. Uh, I did do Jazz Wizards just in case Lowry Markinen remains in the MVP conversation. <laughs> I will say, after all of those games, I don't think Lowry's in the conversation. But if Utah, if Utah wins 50 games, I'm going to give it to Lowry. I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> or at least like an all NBA nod. Yeah. Also, am I mispronouncing his name? Is it Laurie or is it Lowry? I think it's Laurie. I think I've just called him the wrong name like ten times in a row. I mean it's probably neither of those to be honest. We need we need Nico in here to give us some um Scandinavian pronunciation. It's probably like <sighs> Lori. Yeah. Alright, we'll we'll get we'll get Nico to correct us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do want to say on the Joel Embiid front, I can't quite mm. figure out what I think of this tactic. Mm. But Embiid did not make a defensive play for the first 23 and a half minutes of the game. Like on defense, he would just stand wall up um, and, and he's doing everything on offense. He gets the Sixers first 10 points and like kind of the only person touched the ball. Um, but he's really unaggressive defensively. And then like the final possession of the second quarter, he jumps for a, a block. And I'm like, that's the first time I've seen this man leave the ground. And then the entire second half, he, he's even more aggressive offensively and defensively. It was like he was trying not to pick up any first half fouls so that way he could go incredibly hard in the second half. I don't know yeah. if it was pacing himself or if it was laziness, but I, I got to watch more of his games. But if it's pacing himself, that head game, I like it. And if it's laziness, I don't like it. So we'll see. There has like been a big reason I think that the Sixers have underperformed a little bit. Um, maybe even in like the last couple of years, because there was a point where Joel Embiid was like defensive player of the year caliber, where like he was mm-hmm. one of the most like intimidating like forces at the rim, um, and he just like really hasn't been that. I mean, that's a um, good point that you that you made, which is also I feel like something that I've noticed is like he is just like doesn't make plays anymore, and he's not like a great defensive anchor. Like at this point, he's probably like a below average defensive starting center uh, which is really disappointing for a guy that has defensive player of the year caliber talents got the numbers here yeah here we go so opponent rim field goal percentage when Embiid is on 70.5 percent which is 10th percentile so just guys are getting Obviously. whatever they want at the rim yeah I mean when you look at some of the other years like there are seasons below 60 percent at the rim when he's on which is really good um but he just hasn't been the same level of defensive player. And whether that is effort and whether like he can still like be that, whether he's, you know, taking it easy but can ramp it up. But he definitely hasn't been the same, you know, he's not an elite defensive player at this stage. He's also been really dealing with foul trouble. And I know several mm. of them were offensively, which I 
I kind of like it when players pick up offensive fouls. Not not so much. I, I kind of hate the calls. Like I'm not a fan yeah. of whenever whenever they get called for offensive fouls. But I like the aggression. Um, one yeah. of them was really dumb. Where I forget who took the charge, but he was planted from the time Embiid caught the ball at the three point line to when he drove and hit him just outside of the the restricted area. So like that one was dumb. I'm like, this are are you serious? Like you've got a wide open guy in the corner, just kick it. Don't hit this man. And no, he still hits him. Um, but Embiid Embiid showed a bit of his bag. Like he has the face up to fade away, but he was doing a good job getting the dribble, and he would get underneath the basket, and the defense would kind of create a wall. And sometimes he'd find his way out of the wall. But there was one time where House cut and he found House off the cut and it was a really nice like pass through a couple of defenders and a good finish. And I think if it be continues that and becomes a more willing passer off of those drives where he creates the opportunity, mm-hmm. that could really unlock something new for, for Philadelphia to get other guys involved because the first six minutes was all either Embiid or Harris doing kind of one-on-one ISOs. I like. I mean, part of it's willingness. Part of it's just like ability as well. That like, he's getting double teamed on pretty much every time he touches the ball in the post, and so like he has a lot of opportunities to create out of those double teams. But I think it's really like it is a hard thing to do, to mm-hmm. you know be aware of two different players that are coming at you, and then find like the right move to make. Yeah, it's a very difficult to think thing to do. I feel like part of it is willingness, but part of it is just ability that like some guys like Luka Doncic, if you double team Luka Doncic, like it's it's over. You know, they're gonna score. He's gonna find the open man ten times out of ten. Um and have the skill to pull off the pass. Whereas Embiid, you know, like maybe it's just anecdotal, maybe the numbers don't spell this out, but I feel like whenever he gets the ball, he's double teamed and doesn't really create a lot of scoring opportunities out of those double teams. Yeah. But he did it there, and it was mm-hmm. it was great to see. It was good to see him drive and then pass. When I was watching the Nuggets-Celtics game, I was trying to keep track of how many driving kicks. Anytime that Tatum or Brown dribbled, got into the paint, or like paint adjacent, kind of, you know, they, they drove in. Did they end up shooting or did they end up passing? And throughout the first half, I did not log a single pass from either of those guys off of a dribble. So... Off of a real drive, I should say. So it was nice to see Embiid do that. I brought up our top 10 from our top 100 episode over the summer. Oh, yeah. Are there any, like, big fallers? Well, you you tell me. So we got Giannis okay. at number one. Maybe he's as low as three, but probably still one or two. Jokic is number two. Um, I feel pretty good about that one. How you, you know, maybe, maybe he's more like five. How are you feeling about Jokic? Uh... I mean, that's that's all right. I don't Luka? I don't think I I would have had him that high to begin with. Oh, true. But... This you weren't on that episode. It was just Aaron and I. Yeah, so you you have no uh, no culpability to these rankings. Yeah. All right. So then Doncic at three, absolutely mm. great. Probably even yep. should be two. Uh, yep. Curry at four. We've already yeah. discussed his his play. Embiid at five. Mm. LeBron at six. Durant at seven. Kawhi at eight, Tatum at nine, and Butler at ten. Who are you kicking out at this point? Um, clearly Kawhi, who can't even play. Um, I mean, you kind of want to go for LeBron just based on how bad the team has been. Mm-hmm. But you wonder how much to put the fault with him. I mean, he hasn't been amazing, so yeah, probably LeBron as well. Um, 
Butler is an interesting one as well. I mean, the Heat have underperformed, but you kind of feel like he is, he's sort of done his thing to a degree. Um, it may be more interesting to, or easier, I guess, to say, like, who are the guys that would be rising? So, like, you know, Ja Morant, we probably want in that top 10, right? And and probably Dame, who has historically been a top 10 player, is possibly some we, someone that we want back up there. And, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's probably been better than Jimmy Butler and LeBron. That's, that's the name I was looking at here. Mm. Because we just want to talk about some of the advanced metrics around mm. Donovan Mitchell. Not, not to mention yeah. even the counting stats. I mean, where is he at in scoring? Well, he's fifth in scoring right now. Yeah, averaging over 30 points per game. We have six 30 points per game scorers, right? Seven 30 points per game <laughs> scorers. Mm. I think getting rid of the take foul is just some beautiful things for offense. Yeah. I love it. Interesting because um, I think offense is actually down this year overall. Really? Is it just pace that's up? Let me double check it. I think when I looked at the numbers, it was pace wasn't even up that much. It was, no, I think pace was up. Um, but it was two point scoring efficiency was the big difference. Let's see, 112 offensive rating league average this year. Last year, yeah, 112. So it's basically the same. All right. Interesting. All right. So if we kick out Kawhi and LeBron, that gives us two open spots. Durant, ah, I was looking at two different guys. We feeling about, uh, Morant, how are we feeling about uh, Mitchell? How are we feeling about uh, Lillard? Who's getting, or even Pascal Siakam. Pascal, kind of come back down to earth a little bit lately, but still really good. Yeah, I think he's sort of still sort of a second tier kind of guy. Like he's a really good number two option who's sort of like having to do more as number one. He also hasn't played in the last five games. Forget I said <laughs> it. That's why he's <laughs> That'll bring down you down. Not, not being able to play really, um, really screws with your numbers. But yeah, let's let's do all three of those guys. There's only two over, spots. Let's, let's really kick, kick out Jimmy Butler. out as well. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. All right. It's that's a young group. That's mm. yeah. If we put in, I mean, we're looking at twenty-three. I mean, like, yeah, that that is just a young young group. If we're saying LeBron and Kawhi are out, and we're bringing in John Morant and Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I guess I guess Lillard's another thirty-year-old, but the, the league is the league is young. And the league is good. Another interesting thing is um, it's now the top 10 over the last few years has been a lot of forwards. You know, it's mm-hmm. Durant, LeBron, Kawhi, Butler. It seems like we're getting a lot of guards now. We're just getting more of a balance. Hmm. That's a good point because, yeah, I guess we've got Jokic and Embiid. Well, yeah, Jokic, Embiid, and even Giannis, who you could say are bigs. And we got Jason Tatum and I guess it is just Jason Tatum is the only forward left. Let's see. Like here. the only wing in the top ten. Yeah, so if if we go with these these top ten and guys, Ja, Lillard, Durant, or sorry, Ja, Lillard, and Curry are the point guards. Yeah. Luke, I guess Luke is also a point guard, right? If we yeah. really he's a bigger point guard. Um, no shooting guards, which the shooting guard position is just just always kind of I guess, I guess Mitchell's Donovan a shooting Mitchell. guard. We just put him yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, Mitchell's yeah, he's I guess he's a shooting guard. All right, so we got Four point guards, one shooting guard, two small forwards with Butler and Durant. Although Durant, we might call more of a four. One power forward with Giannis and two centers. So that's that's a nice little spread where I think if we look back a couple of years, when it's LeBron, PG, Butler, or Kawhi, Durant, that are all like true threes. Even like Anthony Davis as well, who's like, a, I guess, a forward. Yeah. I like where the league's going. Yeah, any... Uh, any other thoughts on the league over the last week or uh, 
Anything you're looking forward to in the coming week? Were there any um any city jerseys that you particularly liked? Mm, no. <laughs> None at all. I'm I'm kind of just over city jerseys. Um cuz I really <laughs> No, I just have one city jersey for a 4 or 5 year period. Have some success in it and like let that be memorable. Like I'm I'm trying to buy more basketball jerseys. This is like I want to have a collection. Mm. But I don't I don't want it to be like a one-off year that you wore it and then never wear it again. Hmm. I know that's yeah. the most old man yells at the sky type of take, but like all of these will be forgotten in a year. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that is the idea with why they're doing it is that you have to then go out and buy a new jersey every year. I'm just not going to buy that jersey. I'm going to buy yeah. it. <laughs> I'm going to buy a throwback. I, I want to see the numbers and I hope someone sees the numbers and maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like the NBA should just be able to look at like throwback jersey sales versus current ones and, and, and like have that work. That that feels like all you need to do. What, what are your thoughts on them? Are there any that you really like? Not in picture, but I kind of like the Warriors one when it's like actually worn. The Toronto one's like really basic, but it's a nice color combination, the black and gold. Wait, you like the Warriors one? You like the, the rose? Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's got a lot of hate. Um, it has, yeah. I feel like it looks better once it's being worn. I will say, I did, I did like the look of it in the Cavs game. It was a fine jersey. Um, actually, even the Dallas ones, like the Dallas one's fine. Uh, it is reminiscent of some of the early. It, I, I just, I'm against the concept in general. Man, I hate the Dallas one. I feel like they're really? like, yeah, because they're like throwing back to like, you know, to like old jerseys, but those jerseys were ugly to begin with. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's just pure nostalgia, but the nostalgia is for something that's bad. Fair. Except for I still love those jerseys. I, love the old ones. <laughs> I understand that they were hated. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like the I like the amount of teal that's getting in there. Mm. Yeah, the, the Spurs one's kind of nice. Yeah, I, I hate the font on the Spurs one. Yeah, um, I like the pink for Washington. It's just yeah. a, a color you don't see. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I like it. Um, I know it's it's supposed to be like rose bro- or uh, cherry blossoms mm. um, because there's like a big cherry blossom season in DC, and so. That's kind of cool. I don't understand why Phoenix went for teal with that like powdery blue. I don't. I don't know the history yeah. of 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 that. Oh, it's their celebration of Native American culture. I thought it was like a um a throwback to the rivalry with Miami, so they decided to just wear a Miami Heat jersey. No, it's it's their <laughs> embracing of turquoise based on it being a protection stone. And that is that's actually kind of cool. I mean, I like the color. It just it feels kind of out of place for them. But that's that's yeah. a cool reason to do it. Um, Portland, I, I they put a stripe of their carpet, the airport's carpet, on a jersey. That's weird. Um, Philly going for the city of brotherly love. Yeah, that's a it's an ugly jersey though. It's what as long as ones are boring. They're like <laughs> it seems like there's like fifty percent ugly and fifty percent boring. You know, like any of the white ones all suck. I guess the Denver one's not too bad, um, but like the the Nets one is so boring. The Cavs is boring. The Heat is like just a white jersey with the ugly font. Then there's the Cavs one, which is boring as well. I think you can't go white for a city jersey. The the Cavs one's gotten a lot of love, and I just don't don't get it. Yeah, it's like, it's like if you're gonna do something, I'd rather it be bad than boring. Yeah. So on that note, Charlotte. <laughs> yep it's a a jersey that's really hard to find some might say it doesn't exist <laughs> um no the, the 
the color scheme, um, they did a nice promo of Lonzo in it, or like a mannequin Lonzo, or it being a mannequin jersey. Um, that, that like said it was minted. It, it like it looks nice. It's a clean looking jersey, and I have friends in the Charlotte area slash are um, the the owner of the hoop social site that I blog for. Sometimes we're part of their network. Shout out to the other hoop social uh, people. Ori who runs their TikTok. Uh, the the whole group. Um, several of them are located in Charlotte, and they're like, yes, CLT is like the abbreviation that we use throughout the city it's our airport code it's like it's a thing like it's unfortunate that it's also a childish childish thing but we literally had Sacktown. we had cream city this is like actually how our city is represented on maps and shit like i i get it i kind of i kind of like it but this is not the year for it this is just not you can't be really bad and have that yeah i feel like nike have done quite a Poor job with jerseys overall. I I think they've done fine. They've just done too many. Mm. Like Miami, the the Miami Vice jerseys. Those are some of the coolest jerseys like we've had in the last thirty years. And instead of continuing yeah. that or keeping them around, or screw it, they did four different ones of those. They did pink, teal, black, and white. They should just played an entire season in those. They should have played a five year stretch in those jerseys as opposed to going to what I've heard affectionately called serial serial killer print, just cutting out the letters. <laughs> yeah. It's it is also confusing that it's like certain jerseys that are so beloved that they should just like stick with. Like like the Miami either like teal or the pink um Miami Vice jersey or like the Raptors purple with the dinosaur. Like those sorts of things that everyone just loves. Like you just stick with those. Mm-hmm. But instead they like have to do something different every year and yeah. yeah like shout out shout out houston for saying nah we're sticking with our throwback we really mm. liked it last year yeah. we're gonna, the houston one's we're good. gonna keep it around and the memphis one's also kind of cool but honestly just just keep the throwbacks in the rotation just keep the the grizzly bear the vancouver for one that if you're giving me the option of the new vancouver or new memphis one or the throwback vancouver which was their city edition last year like let's just stick with the vancouver mm. I think probably like the biggest thing that I hate is when they use colors that aren't part of their team colors. Looking at Detroit, aren't you? <laughs> there are like a few different ones where, you know, it just doesn't look like, like the Bucks one. Like, why is it a blue jersey? Yeah. And yeah, like the, the green Detroit, obviously. And I mean, like you kind of explained it, but the Suns jersey that doesn't look like a Suns jersey. Yeah. I mean, I will say though, Washington. Yeah. That's that's a valid point. That is a good jersey. Can't do it that often. It's got to be an alternate. But like when the Lakers rolled out their white jerseys, because Lakers didn't have white jerseys for the longest time. It was just mm-hmm. purple and gold. And then yeah. in my lifetime, they brought out white. And it took me a really mm-hmm. long time to adjust to it. Um, actually, my least favorite NBA jersey I own is uh, mm-hmm. uh, my high school girlfriend bought me a custom white Lakers jersey with the number 30, which was the number I was wearing um that that basketball season uh mm. her and i actually both were wearing the same jersey number 30 and so she's like oh, it's all cutesy and i'm like i got 30 because they didn't have my number which is 27 and i hate the white jersey like i was, I was very appreciative to her but i was also just like man this this is a bad Aww. side because like you've not it's just a bad side so you know i still have the jersey i think i kind of like the one if, if we're talking about the same jersey is it the the white like 
I don't know what era it would have been. Like twenty tens, like yeah, the white Kobe one with like the I don't know how to describe it. Like the collar's got like the flat bit, and then it, you know, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I like that jersey. Maybe it's maybe I just fine. like the nostalgia. Maybe it's it's just like a jersey that reminds me of a certain time. Maybe that's all it is. Yeah, it's it's fine. But like the Lakers, Lakers colors are purple and gold. Don't don't deviate. You have a winning formula. Don't mix it up. We won more championships before we mix it up than afterwards. So I'm just saying. That's the issue. It's the white jerseys. It's cursed. Exactly. Exactly. Get us back to just purple and gold, and we're fine. I kind of let's let's take a look at the schedule for for the next week. Mm-hmm. I want to pick pick a game that we can all watch. Uh, the, the Goat Podcast does League Pass Book Club. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really yeah. fun. Yeah. Like their their group chat gets gets all into it. So let's pick a game. I'll find something a little off the beaten path. Yeah, but also something that's gonna tell us some things. Yeah, there's some I mean, good games next week. Yeah, not off the beaten path, but um, Cavs Bucks should be pretty good. Let's just do it. Cavs Bucks. We'll get we'll get more adventurous as we go along. Mm. All right, Cavs Bucks. Two o'clock on a Thursday. Is that what time the game is for you? Yep. <laughs> yep. Two o'clock on a workday. It's eight o'clock on a Wednesday night for me. Yeah. Oh well, that's not. Oh, well. <laughs> that's hardly any better. Yeah, we can, you know, we'll watch them in our own time. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch as much as I can live, and then I'll watch the the um the forty minute condensed plays only. It's just it's just the best way to watch games. It, it's not, but it's it's so convenient. I wish. Yeah. I wish they could just give me the forty eight minute condensed, like just yeah, like every single minute of actual play. Or maybe you yeah. could get it out to like an hour, like a little bit of like. The free throws, the a little bit of the scrum. You know, you get to like watch. I guess what they're running to get the ball in bounds, that sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah, like a sixty minute yeah. with like a little bit of a little bit of free throws, just like cut the timeouts and cut the ad breaks. I'd love a sixty minute game. That mm. that would be great. Mm. Could you imagine how awesome it would be if the NBA was so efficient that a game only took an hour to do? It it, it will never happen. You need the halftime break. You need to need that huddle. Yeah, I guess so. Although I will say, Dallas barely beat. Portland and they were rolling in the second quarter and that halftime just completely threw them off. They yeah. came out so stagnant in the third. Some teams maybe maybe that should be the option. The home team gets to choose at halftime if they want to have a halftime break. <laughs> yeah. They'll never have it because of TV deals, but like imagine the home court advantage of if you got to choose, do you want to have this halftime break? What can we say? Capitalism just ruins everything. It's even ruining my basketball. Oh uh, well, I know I know you've got a really exciting announcement. Where can the people find you next for the next week? You can, you can find me. Since he's not here, I'll plug his TikTok. Getting 50 likes in the comments on um, Possible Cheers TikTok. Did you actually? Yeah. What did you say? <laughs> uh, shit, let me find it. He, he made a um, video, I think about Russell Westbrook. Sorry, 60 likes. It was a Ooh. Russell Westbrook video about how he should was deserving to win the um, 2017 MVP. And he said... You know, he averaged triple double. He broke Oscar Robertson's record. Um, any player that does that should be MVP. If DJ Augustine did that, he should have been MVP. And I was like, Bobcats legend DJ Augustine catching strays, and and, and the pe- the people liked it. I'm a little bit of a comedic genius in the comment section. Not gonna, yeah, it's what I do. Yeah, you gotta start your own TikTok. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, give the people what they want. DJ Augustine content. Good. Well, catch us here. Catch us on TikTok. We'll see you later. Peace. Thank you.